0: Today, I want to talk to you about the blind leading the blind. And in the scriptures, we're going to be looking at John chapter 9. We're going to read the whole chapter of John 9 because it's all one story. But the idea of the blind leading the blind is something in our common language that came from the gospel of Matthew. When Jesus said the following in Matthew 15 verse 13 and 14, and it was in the, he was teaching a parable, and the Pharisees didn't like it, and Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch or into a hole. So today we're going to look at the blind guides who were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they didn't have a good attitude at all. So let's pray. Lord, bless us as we look at your scriptures today. Help us to see Jesus and all of his beauty and healing glory and how he restores us to be the people that we were created to be in the image of God. Bless us in our play, our work, our thinking, our doing. May we just have the mind of Christ as we come to John chapter 9 today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John chapter 9, I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. I, I, uh, it's not going to be very different from yours, but I'm reading through a chronological Bible this year that's New Living Translation, and sometimes you get a little bit, uh, a translation like the New Living Translation, and something like the book of Job where I'm at right now is a little more understandable. I'm reading through Job and the New Living, and I'm like, wow, like, I'm picking up stuff that I couldn't pick up in other translations because they make it kind of simple. But this isn't going to be much different from a different version and it goes like this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So this is very important. I want to kind of put it up here above our heads and we'll reach back later and grab this idea that the people ask this question. Now, who sinned because he's born blind? Was it him or his parents? So they're making an assumption. And Jesus does respond to it, but it's an important thing we want to revisit later. Jesus says, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered, This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I'm the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And I was thinking as I was reading this, it's like, how did he spit? Was it just like, I mean, how do you spit in a in a Jesus way you ever think about that (laughs) was it I mean I don't picture like the old west spittoon style uh, but I also don't picture it as you know my grandmother would okay uh which would be polite and, and nice right and I don't I mean was he did he snort to get a good you know uh I don't think so. That's Mark's little joke there. Um, Becky shared with me something she saw on Facebook. She said that, you know what the difference between men and women are? Is that when the question is, uh, here, smell this, with women, it's always a good smell. Whereas men will say, here, you know, some bad smelling thing, smell this. You get it? You know what I'm saying? so, but Jesus spit on the ground. Uh, and I think it's important, you know, not to joke around too much about it, but he's a human being. And, and why did he, um, you know, why did he spit? Why did he make mud? I, I don't exactly know. It seems like he, 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 made, he dramatized this healing uh, f- for this particular man in a way that we don't see elsewhere in the scriptures. So it's a very earthy story. Pardon the pun. Uh, he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, "'The man they called Jesus made mud "'and spread it over my eyes and told me, "'Go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself.' "'So I went and washed, and now I can see.' "'Where is he now?' they asked. "'I don't know,' he replied. "'So they took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees "'because it was on the Sabbath "'that Jesus had made the mud and healed him.' So we're dealing with Pharisees who are legalistic, judgmental, religious leaders. And then, so we have the one idea that we put away, and we're going to address that. Here's another idea I want to put up here ahead of you, and we're going to talk about this later, Sabbath, okay? This happens on a Saturday, which is the Jewish Day of Rest, and it's, you know, we'll talk about it a little more. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? Three questions, okay. His parents replied, we know this is our son, and he was born blind. They answered the first two questions, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah, by the way, Messiah means anointed one. He's the prophet, priest, and king. It's like he has oil on him. He's the selected one, and that word Messiah means Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. Anyone says that, they get expelled from the synagogue Synagogue, meaning they're excommunicated. They're not part of the community anymore. You're not welcome on Saturday morning down at synagogue if you proclaim Jesus as Messiah. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who'd been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked, how did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, for a moment, I want to pause this and show you. A lot of times when we say Son of Man, we're like, either what's he talking about? Or we get the idea that Jesus is talking about himself. Or if, I, if we were just to say in our language, son of man, it, it means human. Jesus, in, when he says all the time, son of man, in the scriptures, which all these people were raised on, they would have been thinking about this scripture in Daniel chapter 7. And this is Daniel talking about his vision. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, this is Jesus in his return, okay? He comes with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence, which just me reading this, I assume Ancient One is referring to God the Father, and the Son of Man is referring to God the Son, who is indeed human and fully God. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And as believers, we kind of get this, right? We, we're, we agree. But just keep in mind in the Gospels, when Jesus says, Son of Man, this is what he's referring to. So again, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, the formerly blind man, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, You have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And so this passage, one of the things that it deals with is actual blindness. But let's, let's go back to this for just a moment. Uh, what struck you in this passage as we we read this. What kind of struck you as we went through it? Cool. Raise your hand. I'll I'll call on you. Yeah, Adam. Time, if you were blind, you wouldn't be Very good. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Um, and in this overall story, what struck out to you about all this whole chapter? about one guy. This is an incredible chunk of the Gospel of John that's dedicated to this one story. Any thoughts? Uh, Janet? Yes. Yes. He's got something huge that he didn't have before. He's been given the gift of sight. Anything else? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, that Old Testament scripture is important. Um, Well, let's go ahead and go on. Uh, The story here is actually about blindness, which sometimes we forget that people around the world really suffer with blindness um, and other infirmities as well. Did you know that it was predicted by Isaiah that the Messiah would heal the blind? In Isaiah chapter... Oh, I'll come back to that picture. Isaiah 35, verse 4 through 6. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So this is fulfilled in Christ, and specifically... Over in Isaiah chapter 42, I want to read that to you. I don't have it uh, up here. But it's a wonderful passage in which Jesus is called a covenant. And in Isaiah 42, it says this. And it mentions blindness. So Isaiah 42, I'll just start reading. uh, And it's talking about Jesus. And Isaiah prophesied about 800 years before Christ came on the scene. he, He wrote this down. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him he will bring forth justice to the nations so this is the the father who's giving Isaiah the prophet words that's speaking about his son he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench he will faithfully bring forth justice And that whole thing about a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick, that means there's times when we are ever so weak, like a little wick that's blown out, and it's just smoldering. And he does not absolutely crush that wick. He's gentle with us. He has a humble heart. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. And the covenant that he's speaking about is the new covenant. And the new covenant summarized because the largest quote of the first covenant, the old covenant in the new is Hebrews Chapter eight, and then it's repeated succinctly in Hebrews chapter ten, and the new covenant is this: I will remember their sins no more, and I will write my law upon their hearts. And there's a little more to it, but it's the fact that God chooses. It's not that He couldn't; that you know somehow He's limited and can't remember our sin. It's that He intentionally chooses to forget our trespasses, because instead He looks at the blood of Christ. And he cannot see beyond the blood to see our sin because he's made that choice, okay? He's chosen to do that so we can say, oh, Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you look upon me and my iniquity and you see the blood of Christ. So it says that he's a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. So it's not only about physical blindness, which he can heal, and that's pretty profound to think that he can actually heal blindness like that. But it's also about willing blindness, where people choose to not see things that are right in front of them. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 1 in a disturbingly profound passage. He talks about those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, their heart, their will, their mind is bent toward evil and that continually, it talks about in Genesis, and so they make the choice not to see certain things and it's That's what we're up against. Um, In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that we uh, fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and, and spiritual forces in high places. And as Christians, it's very important to know that, okay, that people around us can be blinded, and we can also be blinded. The scriptures also refer to the possibilities of believers being deceived, and That's why it's so important to remember the words of Jesus that if you abide in my word, John chapter 8, verse 30 through 32, abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, See, there's a big responsibility placed upon teachers in the scriptures, people who communicate to you, because if I steal from you, you know it. If I hurt you, you know it. If I act in an unloving way, you know it. If I'm angry, you know it. If I deceive you, you do not know it. And so that's why the litmus test, the uh, measuring rod, the early church called it the canon, is the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Remember back in Acts 17? I think it is, or it could be Acts 18. You test me here, but my point is this. (laughs) This is kind of a pun in itself, that the Bereans were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. They knew the scriptures themselves. And you show me, I've told you this before, but you show me a mature Christian, you show me a liberated Christian, and I'll show you a Christian who is in her Bible or in his Bible, or listening to it, or receiving, you know what I'm saying? You show me a weak Christian, a weak believer, someone who's struggling, and I'll show you somebody who isn't spending time in the scriptures, okay? Because it's the truth that sets us free, and uh, so it's very important that we're in the scriptures like we are this morning. Spiritual blindness is what this passage is talking about also. Now another thing that's happening here is uh they're referring to the Sabbath. Oh, let me fast forward here. Uh this was done on a Saturday and today as Christians, not to, it's a whole different debate, but generally our our day of rest what we celebrate is is Sunday and it has been uh throughout church history. But The Sabbath is Saturday. For Jews, it begins sundown Friday night. It ends sundown Saturday night. And it's the day in which they fulfill, and we seek to do this also, we seek to fulfill the promise of rest. Because the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, Jesus is restoring people on Saturday. And elsewhere, he says... The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath because he's restoring people. And and think about the rest that this man is going to have when he goes to sleep for the first time and, you know, willingly shuts down his sight like we all do when we sleep. And that first night, imagine how his dreams perhaps were different for the first time as he actually has actually has visual memories. And so this man's been restored. There's other people that are restored by Jesus. When, you know, their crippled hand, he does that on a Saturday. He does all kinds of different things on Sabbath. And I think his whole point was just to show the Pharisees, you are so tied up and bound up in your legalism and your judgmentalism that you don't just want people to be set free. And isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen somebody set free, somebody liberated, somebody joyful, and then somebody's mad about it and people can't stand it? Well, don't let them get you down, okay? Um, I remember one time years ago I put this Facebook post up, and I'm not real active on Facebook anymore because of this. And I put up this Facebook post how it's like, oh, I'm so happy to be married and a father and a pastor. And it just set somebody off. This person was mad. (laughs) And sometimes that can happen in our lives where we don't understand why. And it could be a variety of different reasons. But the scriptures say in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil suck your joy out of you because it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is primarily love, but joy is an outworking of that. So... Uh, May we increase in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's given us His joy. Amen? So, it is about the Sabbath, and in, in, in our context today, we could get upset about a whole lot of different things, but I think realizing that Jesus is a man of love, a man of grace um and he's given us a command to rest and yet if we try to be all judgy and nitpicky toward other people and how they live and what they do then we are the blind people and the pharisees represent a character think about it the church of Jesus Christ today if we don't still have if we all have the rules of the scriptures if we have all the rules down but don't have the character of Jesus within us that's loving and compassionate, may the Lord help us to, to change our character. And we can't do it on our own. We need His change. The next thing that, that's the big thing that, so we talked about Sabbath. We kind of pulled that down, talked about it a little bit. The big thing is that people see this, and their question was, now, who sinned? Was it this man, or was it his parents? And it's like they see a problem, and they want to figure out who's guilty. And Jesus is on the scene, and he says, "Uh, no one. It's that the power of God would be revealed. So we know that Jesus didn't heal every blind person that he came across. And yet those that he did heal, it's that the power would be manifested. And I believe that his power can be manifested in other people's lives when we have ongoing uh, suffering. That His power and glory can be manifested in those circumstances also, and that's his purpose. That's his intention. It's not because you specifically did something wrong or because of something that you really want to attribute this to. It's that we live in a world that's fallen. Remember Job in the book of Job? He did not do anything wrong, and yet he was tested incredibly, suffered incredibly, and yet the New Testament says that he's an example of patience. And so what happens is that we do different things. We sin. And then we think, oh, God's going to punish me now. Like, he's going to, I mean, something's going to go wrong. Or when something does go wrong, like maybe, for instance, you know, Lord forbid. But let's say you get in a car accident or something, and it's a huge problem. And it's like, what's going on? And you think, what did I do? Like, And do you ever have that instinctive feeling that when something goes wrong, if your kid is sick or if, if just things don't go the right way, you feel like, I must have done something wrong. God can answer, and he does. There's examples in the scriptures where he does discipline us because of our sins in order to bring us back into fellowship with him and wake us up, but not every problem, not every circumstance that we go through that's negative is evidence that we've done something wrong. There is general suffering where people who are walking with the Lord just go through things. Does that make sense? He's already taken our punishment at the cross, and he's not seeking. He's no longer in this. And I don't believe he ever was in the scriptures. You know. I mean, think about all the times when he let the children of Israel off. Uh, in First John chapter four, it says this. It says that. Let me. I don't want to just. I don't have this memorized. Yet, it says in First John chapter four, verse seventeen. By this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. So that's having the character of Christ. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So there's a liberation from, punish- from the fear of punishment in our life, okay? That God's not trying to just, you know... Uh, suck our money out of us or subjugate our will or he doesn't have a big hammer like whack-a-mole and that you know when we pop our head up in the wrong way he's just going to crush us that would be fear of punishment and yet many many believers still have this view of God where it's like when something goes wrong it's like oh I I, you know I'm I'm," where we're scared of God now the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom but that concept in the Hebrew Bible is not actual like I'm, I'm trembling afraid and I can't be myself and he's out to get me. It's more of a healthy respect. It's actually a confidence in God that I'm going to put him first in my life. And so we need like a couple different words in our English language to talk about fear. You could say the respect of the Lord, the, the healthy... Positioning of the Lord as first in your life is the beginning of wisdom, but God doesn't want to make us afraid. That's not who He is. We love Him because He first loved us. So the people ask, "Who was who was the sinner?" You know, this man or his parents that he's born blind, and Jesus says, "Nope, wrong assumptions." Okay, not everything can be attributed to somebody being guilty. So I hope that sets you free from some fears today, brothers and sisters. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8:18. 8,